Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. This is episode 13. It is Sunday, July 17th. I'm Tony. And I'm Dennis. And we're a podcast about pinball and video games and uh, tabletop gaming. So we'll start out like we always do with what we've been up to lately. What have you been up to, Dennis? Oh, gosh. I've been up to an awful lot. And almost all of it related to the topics at hand for once. So (laughs) I can't say I've really uh, done much in like the way of movies. Though I did see that ultimate edition of the Batman v Superman how was I've heard that it completely changes everything and it's actually good. Well, I didn't see the theatrical release, so I cannot confirm nor can I deny that it does that. The it was okay. I the movie was okay. It I was still confused for like the first 45 minutes, which I didn't like, and there were a lot of parts to it that were pretty dumb and were frustrating, but overall uh it was definitely competent and at least in that in that director's cut style ultimate version it isn't nearly as bad as like green lantern was or anything like that so i would just say it was a it was a mediocre acceptable movie and i would recommend going ahead and watching that version just to sort of if you want to stay up with what's going to go in the dc universe it, you're not going to go away from that and be like whoa that totally wasted my time you'll probably go meh marvel would have done it better which is fair well, yeah, I mean, it's Marvel. That's what they do, is do it better. Uh, Marvel loses in TV, and DC loses in the movies. That seems to be how it's been for the last couple of years. Yeah, it's it's sad. I, I feel bad, because I, I have a more attachment, just childhood-wise. I wasn't a comic book reader, but I have more attachment to uh, the DC characters. So I always wanted them to just sort of had success because those are the characters I know best. Uh, but on the plus side with the Marvel stuff, I tend to learn about new characters because I ha- usually have no idea about any of them. So that aside, uh, let's see. So in the uh, realm of uh, pinball, we both were at the 403 Club tournament last week. Um, and th- for me, I uh, I got destroyed, went to and out. Yeah, I, 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 I lost it as well. It was uh, not a... Uh good showing for me at 403 actually and i had uh i had pizza west yesterday i went to and out there as well so i haven't had a good showing for the month of july but um i will note that on at 403 it was i actually set my two highest scores ever back to back on walking dead they have the walking dead le there and i got my highest score and then on the extra credit i got my second highest score which i was really pleased with then i had that game on both of my tournament draws and i did awful they were just they were really poor scores uh See, instead of so, burning your bad games out first you burned your good games out first and then you were stuck with the bad ones you know i should have you should i should have i should quit playing walking dead because that actually it makes me always want to own one because i really like it but which is yeah. which is interesting because a lot of other games that use that style of mechanic i don't like like i don't like metallica very much See you know. I like Metallica and I like Walking Dead both. I mean, they're both fun games to me. Um, I'm not sure what exactly draws me to those games as strongly as they do, but they're both big enjoyments for me. I'm not very good. I'm not as good as I should be at them. But Yeah, no, I, I'm pre- and I'm pretty bad on both of the tables. Uh, it's just for me, I, they both, I group them together because they both, to me, have this, their strategy is the what I call the chopping wood strategy of hit a shot over and over and over and then that gets you into a mode. Versus what we see with something like uh, Kiss, uh, Star Trek, uh, Game of Thrones, where you have the well, Game of Thrones is its own sort of unique beast. But Kiss and Star Trek, where you have the the glowing lit shots and you kind of pick your mode. Mustang's the same way, um, you know that sort of approach. And generally, I prefer that that latter style to the chopping wood style. But for me, Metallica feels like I'm just chop, chop, chopping. Whereas with Walking Dead, I, I get into it. I just I feel more like I'm in the theme, I guess. And part of it's probably that I watch The Walking Dead, so I appreciate the theme more than I do the band Metallica, which I never was a huge fan of. But okay, so that was that was that for for what I'll call primary pinball. But I do I do have some update stuff in terms of the world of virtual pinball. As I noted at last week's episode, we talked briefly about uh, Summer Games Done Quick, which is that charity speed running. I did not know at the time whether or not Pinball Done Quick was going to happen, and it did. So I did watch some Pinball Done Quick as well. Uh, one of the things they did in conjunction with it was they had announced a Pinball Arcade tournament, which I had never participated in before. But it was it was the Steam version, 10 tables, and you, would, you had access to them whether you owned the packs or not. 
and it was the highest score you recorded and you could do it over and over throughout the entire duration of that tournament, which I think was about 10 days. The trick, though, because it was in the done quick theme was you only had five minutes to do the scoring. So it, you know, that made it a very interesting challenge because you had games. And as you, as you know, because I contacted you, because <laughs> for example, one of the tables was Attack from Mars. My strategy when I actually play Attack from Mars did not lend itself to scoring high scores, or at least I wasn't getting very high up on the list, which is why I was like, what can I do? I only have five minutes. What, what? Because I, I was like, I was going into the multi-ball. I was trying to get total annihilation. And it was just taking way too long. I was one getting enough points for the effort. So it was that and then nine other tables. And so I, it was fast. I mean, it, it sucked me on in. And I will admit, they, they did have some prizes, which they're actually, at the time of this recording, they have not done the drawings yet. They were supposed to, but it, they've been pushed back to later the, later today. But was, I think, anyone in the top 100 was is in a drawing for some sign trans lights. Uh, and anyone in the top 50 was in a drawing for for some sort of laptop. So, you know, they kind of had a little incentive there to try and uh, get you going. And based off of my placement, uh, I knew that keeping in the top 100 was going to be pretty easy. But staying in the top 50 did require effort. So I actually had to keep going in every single day and bumping up at least some of my scores. Uh, I did end up out of 345 players. I placed 37th at the end of it. My uh, my best table was an old e- uh, EM called Big Shot, which I got the 13th highest score on. And my worst table was Theater of Magic, which I got 77th on. And uh, so anyway, it, it was it definitely occupied me uh, in between the last podcast and this one because my Steam copy of Pinball Arcade, I mostly play the Xbox copy. But my Steam copy of Pinball Arcade went up from 12 hours played to 47. <laughs> That's a slight increase in time. <laughs> And it was all tournament, other than a couple of times where I had to go in and just load up the rules on, on the scoring stuff because I couldn't access the rules through the tournament. And other than that, uh, like the rest of the world, apparently, I've started up uh, playing Pokemon Go, uh, which we'll hit on more later on. Uh, I've never actually played a Pokemon game before, so it was a, since it was free and everyone else I knew was, was doing it, I've downloaded it, I've loaded it up some, I... I've not been going out and really, you know, diving a whole lot into it, but I can, you know, load it up at work and, uh, and cause we're a pokey stop cause we're a historic building and, you know, get all that sort of stuff. So anyway, so what have you been up to? Well, uh, I already talked about how I got smashed at four or three, just like you did. Uh, I didn't get to go to pizza West, uh, tournament this month cause I've been doing some family stuff and getting ready. And seeing as I'm going to be gone all next weekend, I figured I'd spend some quality family time and, uh, I've done the impossible and I have completely caught up on my podcast list and maintained being caught up on my podcast list. I'm setting at a point right now that except for on Tuesdays, uh, I'm only aver- having maybe two hours of podcast a day to listen to. So I'm burning through them like instantly in the mornings before I even get to work normally. And uh, uh, I've been listening to some audio I've started listening to audiobooks since, since I'm out of podcasts. Uh, I started playing Pokemon Go. We'll talk about that more later. Oh, I found out that Amazon has the newsroom on Amazon Prime for free. So I've been watching that because I'm a real big Aaron Sorkin fan. And uh, I'd never seen the newsroom before, uh, as opposed to the West Wing, which I've seen multiple times and own the box DVD set of the entire series and, and, and sports night, which I've seen before and this and that. And, uh, I've been enjoying the show. It's pretty good. It's only like three seasons, so it's not, there's not a whole lot of show to it, but it's been, uh, enjoyable what I've seen. I'm, I'm a little over halfway through the entire series at this time. No, oh, okay. That'll about to be one I'll check out then, because uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of Aaron Sorkin's writing. Yeah, no, the, he just he he just his dialogue and the way his shows and everything it's just amazing. I love them. So, Got walk and talk, man. Got walk and talk. And, and and since this is a new show, there's walk and talk, and they're sitting stare directly into the camera and talk now. Also, ah, uh, yes, the George Lucas method. Yeah. Camera A, uh, camera B. Exactly. Uh, Jeff Daniels is the main character, and he does an amazing job. I mean, the entire cast is really good, but Jeff Daniels does an amazing job. I'm, I'm really, I really enjoy. I've been enjoying it. Awesome. And that's about all I've been doing. Otherwise, I mean, uh, playing more Overwatch that nobody wants to listen to anymore, and play. Or I've been reading. I'm up to book four, Wheel of Time, but that's about it. I haven't done anything really interesting in the last couple of weeks. Well, we'll be taking care of that next weekend. But yes, we will. 
All right. I guess we'll go ahead and transition into the first main topic then, which would be pinball. This and is a segue. It is. Yes, I tried to make it as smooth as a chainsaw. And so we're going to start with the what we've been starting with, which is the 1980s Pinball Machine Mania tournament. We've got uh, round five to go over. It was, to say a, to sum it up in a word, decisive. The results, <laughs> the results in no way surprised me. Uh, there were two matchups. Pinbot, which is a Williams game and a number five seed in our ranking system, beat Haunted House, which is Gottlieb's game, and it was a number one seed, and it won with 80% of the vote. Woohoo! Yep, I was very pleased, as my one vote indicated <laughs> to Pinbot. <laughs> and then 8-Ball Deluxe, which was the Bally title, came in as a four seed, beat Sea Witch, Stern title, came in as a one seed, with 76.7% of the vote. And I supported 8-Ball Deluxe in that. So... They were not only I felt no no surprise, Williams and Bally were, I think, are easily seen as the better manufacturers from the decade overall. So if you didn't know anything else, I think this is what people would have guessed from the get go. Yeah, these are the obvious ones. I uh, have been I voted for these two as well. So, yeah, it's what was expected. I mean, I, you know, we actually had, um, I think, more challenging matchups early. You know, things like Elvira not being one of the finalists, for example. That's probably more surprising than that eight ball ends up beating a a stern title that not many people have even been able to play. Yeah, that's my that's my biggest uh, idea or idea. That's my biggest surprise. Yeah. So we're at the final round, final matchup. So there'll just be one vote, and we'll have the link in the show notes, and we'll get it announced as we normally do. But it's going to be the Williams game. Pinbot is going to face off against Bally's Eight Ball Deluxe for all the marbles, and we'll we'll see who reigns supreme. Neither of these titles is the, at least as of when we built the brackets, is the highest rated uh, 1980s game on the Pinside ranking system. That was Elvira, which is why I noted it earlier. So we've already sort of, and you can tell by the seeding. I mean. Uh, Bally, uh, Bally's eight ball deluxe being the four seed meant it was the fourth highest Bally game from the eighties I could find in the list. And Pinbot was the fifth highest Williams. So basically the results already show that the pin side rankings are grossly inaccurate and that's no way surprising. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, it's the pin side ratings that, that have the bad, uh, uh, stats the bad they've been corrupted by a by a a, a oft maligned and appropriately so system that is skewed and and weighted in weird ways and there's a lot of troll voting and it's just not like ours ours has remained pure and innocent as as it should (laughs) i'll probably just send the bracket over to uh the pin side and just have their moderators just replace the scores with the results of this because they might as well might as well clean up the system. Well, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that's what I would do. I, I don't see why you wouldn't. Anyway, next episode, we will have those final announcements. Um, and I don't plan to have a new tournament immediately for that next episode, but we'll probably launch into the next one pretty pretty quick after that because uh, these work pretty well. They don't take a lot of time for us to go through, and the votes almost run themselves, so it's wonderful. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next pinball topic, which was a surprise to me, but it is the Pabst Can Crusher. An EM pin, a reskin essentially of Wonelli Big Juicy Melons. I want to just initially note that this is what Dirty Donnie has been working on. And for those who have been listening to the podcast way, 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 way back in episode two is when we actually talked about that. We knew Dirty Donnie was working on something. He had announced that he was doing a new Stern project. We had assumed at the time that he was doing a music pin because that is what it's dirty. Exactly. Exactly. Tony, it's dirty. Donnie. That is what his career has been, has been music art and his previous project that he did with Stern was the Metallica pin, which a lot of people feel has uh, exceptionally high quality artwork. So uh, I guess let's just go ahead and start because we, you know, the gameplay is sort of we assume known because it's the layout's the same as Wonelli. What do you think of what you saw with the Paps Can Crusher? It's got a bitchin' van. <laughs> yes, yes. I, it almost reminds me of a tripped-out Scooby-Doo van. I know. Like, uh, yeah. I'm, I, uh, I love full-size vans. I We had several growing up. I drive one now, though mine is not nearly as awesome as the one in that artwork is. But 
that well, was maybe you first... should get Dirty Donnie to paint it for you. I'd have to get somebody to fix all the rust first. Oh, no, no. <laughs> that adds character. I, uh, but that was the first thing I noticed when I got the, uh, when I get first looked at the pictures. Um, I'm not a big Pabst guy because I'm not a big beer guy. Uh, when it comes to drinking, I tend to aim for liquor myself, but I like the art a lot. I haven't played Wonelli, so I don't know. Uh, how it plays, so I can't have a guess on that. But I really like the art. I like the van. I like his art style is just nice, and I think it fits really well with the Pabst. Also, I love this whole modernized, modern EM thing uh, that Wonelli had going on, and now that this has going on. it uh, This game, just to me, between that and the art and everything just screams to me as a game that should be sitting in the back corner of a grungy neighborhood bar. And I love yeah. that. That's, yeah. that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I, I also have never played Woe Nelly. So while I've heard great things about the shot layout and that the game is fun, I've, uh, I can't comment on the gameplay. I haven't, I have even watched a video of it. Uh, I take that back. I've seen some live footage on Twitch of some people trying to play Woe Nelly. So I've sort of seen some video, but I can't really comment on the gameplay. I think the overall look that Dirty Donnie did with this is, is awesome. I think it looks great. I think it adheres to the classic pinball look, but without being the over the top tongue in cheek style that Woe Nelly is. And so I think this one will be a little less polarizing. I think when I see this, I actually think, wow, this actually looks like a classically designed uh, pinball, with, actually with higher quality art, but yeah. not, without being, you know, taking those sort of those themes that were in some of the classic pinball art styles and then just sort of to dialing them to 11 as a joke, sort of, which is sort of what Wonelli does. And but like you, know, I was just sort of like, but Pabst, really? This this I then uh, and, and again, I know I don't I don't drink much either. So and the only thing is, I always just sort of remember it as Pabst was the this it was the cheap beer for college kids who didn't care about flavor. Or as a person I worked with would say, well, he would drink one good beer and then he would just switch to Pabst after that because he didn't <laughs> care after the first beer. And, and he's in his 60s. So so that was always the sort of my sense of, of the brand. However, I have because, you know, to be, be a proper professional podcast, I did do some research on this. And it seems to be that urban hipsters have actually given Pabst Blue Ribbon specifically a resurgence in popularity. Do hipsters buy pinball machines? I don't know. I think they like to play them in Seattle, at least. Uh, but I don't know if they actually drive the purchasing decisions or not. I don't think it really matters because I, because regardless of it, I think this looks great. And so if the gameplay is good, if people know they like the Wonelli gameplay, I, I mean, this would be the one I would want in my game room. I think it looks bitchin was a great choice of words. So, I mean, <laughs> it, very evocative and very 80s to sort of tie in with our previous uh, tournament discussion. Yeah, everything I see is that that van, man. The van's just—it's awesome to me. I, I see it, and I just—I want that table because I like the back glass, I like the field, I like the van, I like everything about the rest of the art. But the van just stands out perfect, and it just screams the theme to me. It's just awesome. I really and, enjoy it. And I feel bad because I didn't put this in my notes, but I—I I guess it actually has not just like chimes and stuff, but there was a heavy metal band that has done sound for this for the pen. Yeah, I, I read that. I—I I thought I noted down their name, but I do not find it in my notes. But I read that when I was looking it up earlier. No, I should have because I even went to their Facebook page because I wasn't—I uh, don't really follow uh, metal bands, uh, so it was just sort of. Anyway, uh, so I guess it's got some cool sounds. So if you're into metal, look into it and look up the band name. You might actually uh, just want to check it out just to hear the sound. But anyway, no, I think this looks uh, I think this looks great. Um, probably, uh, you know, until unless and until I ever get to try either it or a Wonelli, I wouldn't know if I would actually want to own one because the gameplay would trump the look uh, for me no matter what. But hey, who knows? Maybe we'll. we'll you know, I can always just throw out our usual throw out, which is maybe the four hundred three club in the Kansas City area will get this pen and bring it in because <laughs> I've gotten almost everything else that's new. So come on, if any of you are listening, come on, guys. You gotta you gotta hook us up. I can't be buying all this stuff. Yeah, me neither. As much as I would like to, especially this one. I I I, I like EMs, and I yeah I I I could live with this machine in my collection. 
that currently has no machines in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's no higher endorsement than that. Okay, well, we only have one more pinball topic to go through today, uh, but I, w- I wanted to bring it up because, uh, as I'd mentioned before regarding ratings, I'd mentioned Pinside, which for those that don't know, it's one of the primary pinball discussion forums that exists online. Medieval Madness Remake. Uh, there has been an ongoing sort of anticipation for colorization of Medieval Madness. And so I guess for some background for those that aren't really into pinball that much or especially into modding it and such, DMD displays up until recently have been monochrome. So they're they're just actually they're singular color. Just, they're just colorized dots. That's what they are. Uh, there has been a company, uh, Color DMD, which has been going back and getting – the dots individualized that you know through their patents and such they colorize the dots and then they sell a replacement dmd that can do their color and so you can put those into old machines and colorize them and this exists for the original medieval madness however the medieval madness remake the display is capable was capable from color like you know it's an lcd so it was already set so it could do color, but it came as it was, you know, sort of built to be like the original, which meant singular color. However, they have now released the ability for people to turn on a colorization form. And the price point on that is $199 for those uh, LE buyers. And it has to be the original LE buyers is my understanding. Um, and $399 for everyone else. And by comparison, Color DMD sells their unit for $400. So it's about the same price. My understanding is, and uh, if anyone wants to research it, they can, but I believe it's not just color in the case of the MMR. The resolution is improved. And I believe it's supposed to be about four times better is my understanding. Uh, I've looked at the uh, the differences between the the monochrome and the and the MMR color in stills, and yeah, the uh, the quality it's there. I mean, the quality looks great, the color looks great, uh, and I think it looks a lot better than the what you get out of the color DMD, which obviously isn't upping the resolution; it's just adding color to certain individual dots to you know to to give a variance versus the monochrome. Um, the drama. Um, because that's really what's driving this, uh, besides the fact that it took a really long time for the pricing information to even come out, has been whether or not it's fair to charge people $400 for a game that already came with a color screen and you're just getting the color dots turned on. Whereas in the color DMD model, you're actually getting a whole new display device. You're able to take out your old DMD, um, you know, sell that kind of serve as a partial refund because DMDs can outgas and and wear out and people need to replace theirs. And a lot of times they, they use old, old ones and do that. And so, you know, it's sort of like a, uh, to tie it into the video game thing, some people kind of see this as it's like a DLC thing, that they're charging us for DLC. And I guess there's a security chip that you get shipped to turn on the color, but you wouldn't technically need the security chip. They're choosing to do it that way to kind of put it behind a paywall. They The the color is already downloaded and installed on all the games that's currently updated. Again, my understanding, the threat is massive. I have read the whole thing, but over time, and I don't remember it all that well, because I do not own one of these games. But anyway, that's sort of the background. I guess let's go ahead and kick off on a discussion here. And so, uh, Tony, what are your thoughts in terms of, I guess... What do you? Oh, I guess. What do you think it look? How it looks, and what do you think about the price? Well, I think it looks amazing. I mean, that the the images of comparing them is there's nothing at all even close. It just looks awesome. But the fact that it's something that's already built in the system, and you have to, it, it's kind of like there were there's a point in time where a lot of video games were coming out with preloaded DLC that you had to pay for, but it was already on the desk type stuff. And it it feels kind of like that. It's like, well, you shipped me the ability to do this. Why wasn't this price and what was shipped? And I know that there's been some other issues with the MMR machine. I know they've been having some quality control issues with like the play fields and stuff that I've read about. And then when you combine that with stuff like we shipped you this and here's the little special code you need to undo it to make it actually work. And that's going to be another 400 bucks. And 
if you don't do the code, well, yeah, you, your machine has the ability to do it. It's just you didn't pay us the extra 400 bucks. Stuff like that just seems a little sketchy to me. Yeah, I have mixed feelings on it. I guess my, my overall thoughts are the uh, the main thing is that the poor communication is, in a way, shocking. It's just uh, how badly they've communicated the color update, especially given all the delays they were plagued with. I don't want to say it's inexcusable, but it, I, I can't fathom who came up with a communication plan that was this poor. I just have to assume they never came up with one. I don't think it's in any way surprising that they are charging color DMD pricing. Color DMD has been highly successful in the hobby. A lot of people feel that it is the number one mod that you need for your game. If you have a game and it has a DMD display, you should put a color DMD in it. There are a lot of people who put the color DMDs in games that have not been colorized, just waiting for the colorized code to come out. And they just they use it in, in the uh, monochrome mode until then. I have two DMD games currently, and this is not a bridge I've had to cross because neither of my games are colorized. But I've always felt that the color DMD, I always thought $400 for a display was a pretty high price. So it's not been a mod that I have latched onto as being a necessity, but I've seen a number of color DMDs on location here in the Kansas City area, and they do look cool. So I, I completely understand why people love them. Oh, yeah. I love color DMDs. I've seen several color DMDs, and they it's amazing how much yeah, better they uh, Metallica, for example, I, I think mean, looks great is, with, the, with its color DMD. Yeah. Uh, we had a road show that was on route at one point in time that didn't have the color DMD, and then they added the color DMD. Uh, at, while it was still on route, and it was just amazing how much better mm -hmm. it looked. So again, I, I completely get why people will say, you know what, if you need, if you're going to do any modding, that's the mod you want to get because it makes such a visual difference, and it does. I don't really have an opinion on the price difference that uh, for the MMRs that they're doing between the LEs and the standard editions. I think anyone who bought an LE is probably going to do this because it's it's two hundred dollars less. And the resolution's so much better yeah. than what the color DMD looks like, and. Uh, I don't think you can stick the color DMDs into MMRs. They're just for the original Medieval Madnesses anyway. So I think it's almost a no-brainer there. The issue that sort of came up is when the coloring was originally announced, the statements that came out from the company suggested that they were going... They didn't promise, but they indicated that they would try and make the color update free for LE buyers. Terrible thing to say. If you weren't going to actually do yeah. it. And, and I've heard that people have said, okay, that was back when they were just going to color, like color DMD. Look, you're getting 4X resolution. And all, that all makes sense. It doesn't change the fact that that was such a terrible communication blunder that I almost wonder, should they just eat the loss on the $200 for the LE people just to, you know, shut the issue up and make them happy? But I, maybe not. Maybe uh, I don't know how many people will say no. So, I mean, maybe it's like, no, no, they're going to buy. So why would we do that? Yeah, I can understand that. And the communications blunder thing, is, that's another thing that seems to have been uh, kind of big news this year in total. It's, uh, I don't know if you recall, the Oculus was for the longest time bandied that the Oculus, when it came out, would be in the three to $400 price range. And they flat out had said that uh, in the year or so leading up to the actual release, and they ended up being you know double that at the release. And that was a communications thing because somebody was saying, oh, it'll be in that ballpark because to them ballpark means, you know, you know that or double that is still uh, within the same ballpark. <laughs> Interesting. No, I hadn't remembered that. Um, I remember it was higher than people yeah, expected. Yeah, well, that's what it was. Is they, and they'd say, because he'd said, well, it'll be in that ballpark when he was talking, you know, $400 and it being, ended up being $800. Because, you know, for some people, that's apparently the same ballpark. Not for me. I, I don't make enough money for $800 to be the same ballpark right. as $400. Uh, but I think that's a definitely a big communication error that needs to be, I don't know if you can fix it. I don't know if it's something you can sit down and do. I think, I think them just charging is what they're going to do. I think that's probably for the best because yeah, people are, are going to pay it. That's what I think. As so well. it, it's not like they're, they're losing anything and frankly, I mean, with the issues they've had with the quality control issues and stuff, uh, are they even going to do another one? Are they going to do another remake? As I know, there was always talk about what would be done after MMR, but 
Is there anything else actually in the pipeline, or is the issues that with MMR been too much? I don't know. I don't know either. My sense has been that they, they continue to plan to eventually announce another remake. Uh, I think statements have been made indicating that they're going to, but I haven't seen those statements yet. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen the announcement yet. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Their communication has been so poor across the board that I don't know what to believe when I see anything coming out uh, on this. Anyway, I, I just think, you know, since the hardware was already in the purchase, I have trouble thinking that this was a necessary price point. But I think they're going to sell a lot of the color chip codes because it looks so good. And but personally, yeah, I think it's kind of high. Yeah, I, I think it's a little high uh, just because they've already got the displays. I'm, the display's already in the machine. That's what's weird to me. That's what messes with my head. Right. And the machines were over $8,000 to begin with. So it's just sort of a question of why, how much How much do we have to pay for extra DLC when the initial product was so much above retail? Because I'm, I'm sorry, but retail is Stern Pro price in my mind. That's what I everything's compared to because they're the uh, they're the market leader and they pr- put out the most machines currently. So it's not just that it's the cheapest unit as well. It is. But it's just that's what most of the pinball machines that are sold are, are Stern Pros. And that's going to be, you know, practically speaking, in the neighborhood of five grand. So this was already really pricey. Um, but, yeah, it is what it is. Well, I think that's about enough about uh, pinball for now. So we're going to go ahead and transition over to our video game topic. And we're going to start out with the newest sensation that is crushing the entire world, and that would be Pokemon Go. Pikachu! This is a, a game I've always feared, in a way. Uh, uh, once upon a time, there was a, a comic put out by Dorkly Comics back uh, in 2013. that was talking about a Pokemon MMO and it ending the world. Uh, <laughs> and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh because I hunted it down and found it, but this is definitely something that people have been wanting. Uh, my surprise is just how big it is. I figured it would be big, but I didn't figure it would be this. This is kind of insane. What, uh, what can I say? I ended up downloading it. I've never actually played a Pokemon game, but it just, you know, the, all these other people I know are playing it. So it's like, okay, well, it's a, it's a craze, and I don't have to play it because it's a craze, but I think we need to talk about it if it's such a big one. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's a simple enough concept in terms of, you know, it's using like these geolocations, encourages walking around, which I think is good other than people walking off cliffs which is unfortunately yeah. not not good though it does warn you when you're loading please do not walk off cliffs uh, it paraphrases that but that's what they mean um and you know encourage you to play in the uh, in a variety of locations so i guess my initial thoughts would just be that i think this speaks in particular to how I think a lot of Nintendo properties could really thrive on phones. And it's been something I've kind of wondered about for a while because, you know, Nintendo's got their whole DS thing going on and they've, they've always owned the handheld market ever since the game boy. Yeah, they have That's been their thing, but you know, times, times they are a change in. And while they still have been doing well in their handheld market, the issue is everyone has a phone and almost every one of those people has a smartphone that can actually run software. And it seems it has seemed to me odd in a way. I get it because they've got their own little handheld, uh, you know, microcosm to operate in. But, uh, you know, when everyone's walking around with a platform in their pocket already, it seems, you know, kind of like, well, why don't you just uh, start selling stuff on that? And I think this kind of shows what sort of things could really, really succeed because I don't believe there's any video game publisher that matches the IP recognition and nostalgia that Nintendo wields. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. And this is something that a lot of people I've talked to in the past are looking at uh, because a lot of the portable games and the 3DS games and this and that are, and Nintendo has a lot of just first party games that could easily be in the telephone market and the tablet market without too much of an issue. Now, this uh, particular one uh, was a combination of them, were the, the Pokemon company working with Niantic, uh, and I played Niantic's original AR uh, geolocating game, Ingress, for a while. Yeah, I remember hearing about Ingress. I never actually tried it myself, though. Yeah, and this, and, and they used, it seems to be they used the 
base data information from Ingress to create this game because, as you'd find out, most of the all the Pokestops and the gyms and all that are all old Ingress portals, and they a lot the game plays a lot like uh, Ingress in how it uh, does your location tracking and and just the base game stuff feels very similar to Ingress. And I think like Ingress started smaller and they kept adding more and more stuff. Uh, that's going to be the same way I think that this is going to go because right now, out of the gate, there's not really a whole lot to do in the game other than collecting Pokemon. Uh, right. You can fight right. the Right, there's gems, the gym stuff. Right. But there's not a whole lot. And if this game is going to continue, they're going to have to add more. And I'm sure they will. And I'm sure they've got plans because there's plenty of things that were uh, they've teased in the commercials and talking about in the past that just aren't there yet. So I'm sure it's coming. Um, but I'll tell you what's been the most surprising thing to me about Pokemon Go is while it's so popular, the people who don't like it really don't like it. I mean, there is a lot of hate out there for it from what I've seen. What do you think? What do you think is the source of that hate? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've talked to some people and they're a lot of them are, you know, the people who think, Oh, well you, you should be working or you're an adult and adult shouldn't play video games. And, and it's, I think a lot of it boils down to the whole fact that it seems like a lot of times anymore that, you only have the option of liking something or hating something. You can't be neutral on it. So if you don't like something, you obviously hate it and you're totally against it. It's like, oh, you don't like football? Well, you must hate football. Well, no, I just don't really ever think about football. It's it's not my sport. Oh, you 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 don't like Pokemon? Well, you must hate it. Well, yeah, maybe or maybe not. But it's just I think it's something. I think it's something very polarizing in how the world has been for the last couple of years. I, I think that's hmm. what brings out a lot of the hate is that people just see, and what, 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 what really messes me up with it is, I mean, it's, it's literally a video game that has kids and adults and people going outside and walking and doing all sorts of stuff, but people are hating on it. I, because it's a video game. Yeah, uh, yeah, you may be right about the uh, just the nature of polarization. I lean more towards that it's it's sheer popularity that results in this sort of vehement hate that we see. The it's the um, it's too popular, so I'm gonna buck the trend and I'm gonna make a big stink about how special I am for not you know embracing my Pokemon overlords, and I, so I just despise this game because it's popular. And so if it's popular, it's got to be lowbrow, lowest common denominator. I'm above that, and I'm demonstrating that aboveness by being, you know, a super special, unique snowflake, which the problem is, you, you know, congratulations, you're a super special snowflake just like everybody else. So you, you haven't won anything. <laughs> but but I, so that's been my assumption is that, that most of the haters who, you know, because by and large, I don't think they've tried it. And that's fine. You don't have to like it. You could hate it out of the gate. But I think a lot of people who hate on it are hate are hating on it because it's a super popular and that annoys them for some reason. It'd be the same sort of uh, thing where people would look and go, oh, gosh, everyone loves Game of Thrones. I'm not watching Game of Thrones. That's stupid. It's stupid because if it's really popular, how could it be good? Because commoners. Well, that's that's a valid point. I hadn't actually thought of it that way, but it, it just being the whole mindset of the people well and there and some of the categories that you've named i definitely think are in play so there are going to be some people that don't think adults should be playing games okay you know that's that's always sort of been the thing you know video games that's a stigma that video games in particular of our of our topics you know i'd say video games uh and tabletop probably suffer from that the most pinball less so because (laughs) pinball fell out of favor for so long that a lot of young kids don't know about it and so it's only adults who care anymore but but you know it's that sort of thing and it's just to me uh yeah i've seen that for years it's never been i it does obviously doesn't resonate with me here i am co-hosting a podcast where we talk (laughs) about games 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 and games because we like to play games thing is you know what's baseball what's football it's a game 
sure it's a sport as well, but the, the, you know, it's still all about doing, accomplishing objectives and winning. I mean, and that's how I define most games. So it's, you know, that, that, that sort of argument's always there. Fair enough about the people who are like, you should be working. Yes, make sure you do your work, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. But, you know, the idea that people are just sitting there chained to their desks, slaving away eight hours and not having breaks is almost quaint in its unrealistic portrayal of a reality, you know, especially given in American culture in particular, where the problem we've been having is people stay tied into their offices way too much on call, way too much, you know, checking emails while on vacation. Those are symptomatic problems that I would be far more concerned about. But this is not a podcast on how to improve corporate America. So let us move on from that. And then the uh, the third aspect of some people, I think, just get annoyed with people being outside, but being on the technology. And, you know, that that's sort of a in a way that almost is just a maybe a cultural thing, a, a partly generational, partly just sort of a, a thought. And look at how great nature is and such and such. Like I went out walking today as I, I usually on the weekends I try and do about six and a half miles. And uh, normally I just I load up my podcasts or music, depending on my mood. If I'm not paying attention to things, it's music. If I'm going to pay attention, it's podcast time. And, uh, you know, normally I just have my walking software, keep the phone in my pocket, and that's what I do. And then this time I actually had the Pokemon thing going instead of the walking software and occasionally, you know, pull it out and see if I saw a little Pokemon. But otherwise, the behavior was still mostly me going around and doing what I normally do. Uh, you know, I could see, though, how it might annoy people to watch folks walking around staring at the phone the entire time and. Uh, you know, it's really, just how different is that from what you see folks walking around and doing now? I mean, anytime you go around, you see people they're on their phone all the time. I've exactly. Seen people on dates that are obviously on dates sitting at, at dinner on the phone. They're both on their phones. Uh, yes. And, and the people my wife do the same thing. We'll sit there and we'll read books or stuff while we're out to dinner. If it's just us. I, I think the people who who hate the Pokemon Go game because of that. They, they hate you for reading as well. Don't worry. Don't feel like they're, they're being hypocritical. I think they hate it when they see people outside on a phone, period. And, you know, that's just, that's just going to be what it is. It's just a view. It's the view they have. They think you should be appreciating nature, not appreciating uh, a device with a, which the only thing natural about it is there's a chunk missing out of the sketch of an apple on said device. <laughs> Uh, you know, that sort of thing. But but anyway, you know, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not I guess I'm not too shocked that. I, but again, that just goes back to the whole things that are super popular. It's almost like a countercultural cool thing to hate on things that are really, really popular. Um, so, I mean, and going to a video game example, I really do not care. I don't get the big deal uh, about Dark Souls. And I full cleared the main game. I got all my Xbox 360 achievements in Dark Souls. But I have to be really careful when I would criticize Dark Souls because some people would think that I'm just hating on Dark Souls because it was really popular with a set of hardcore gamers. And so that I'm just hating it because it's cool to hate it because it was popular yeah. sort of thing. So, you know, that's sort of a you – know, those things are really, really popular. There's going to be that suspicion. And so – if people have really good legitimate reasons like hate Pokemon Go because it eats 20 percent of your battery in 10 minutes. That's a good reason to hate. That's it. a very valid reason to hate it. I, I hope Niantic's actually puts a lot of effort into uh, figuring out uh, better setting options so that it doesn't just have to do low battery mode when it's upside down in your pocket while you're not moving. You know, they need to. Uh, it's just so popular. They really need to see if they yeah. can do some steps that'll make it a little less demanding, uh, make it use less data. There are a lot of things that would be helpful to make it a more uh, efficient and enjoyable experience. But anyway, I think it's neat. I'm I'm not very far. I'm only level nine. Yeah, I'm 14, and I, I think in addition to this, uh, other AR games are going to start coming. And I think this could also be one of those interesting little tidbits that push forward how phones are built if they keep coming and they keep being popular not just this one game but if more of them come where battery life is going to start becoming a more and more important issue again it used to be you know your battery would last three days and 
now it's to the point with your phone does everything and they're making they're even making batteries smaller because they're trying to get the footprint of the phone smaller so your battery you have your phone off the bat off the charger you know while you go to work and then once you're at work you put it on the charger and then you take it off the charger when you go home and you might only get four or five hours without it being on a charger depending upon how much you're using it yeah it seems like the a lot of the focus has been how quickly they can charge the phone battery now rather than trying to increase the duration of the charge yeah. so Which, but obviously that's not going to jive well with things like if things like this become hip then they're going to want to give you you got to have longer longer duration out in the field but it's doing good things for the portable charger market oh yeah Those oh guys yeah they're definitely getting everything they they could want so what's the best team to join on pokemon go well it's team instinct of course uh, yeah, you're right. There is only one right answer, folks. So I mean, if you didn't join Team Instinct, I uh, expect you to just restart your game. Because <laughs> otherwise, you just you're wasting time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Well, I think we've adequately covered the latest hip craze, Pokemon Go. So let's go to the next possibly latest hip craze, which is so hip because it's so retro. I've said hip like five you times said in this hip podcast. A lot. I'm not going to say it anymore. Okay, uh, not for the, at least this episode. I'm going to move on. Uh, so let's talk about the Nintendo Classic Edition, aka the NES Mini. Uh, so for those that didn't see, uh, Nintendo has put out a new small version of what looks like the classic Nintendo Entertainment System console. Uh, it comes with 30 games, including Super Mario Brothers 1 through 3. It's got Metroid. It's got Donkey Kong, Final Fantasy, Legend of Zelda. It's got an assortment of really popular titles from that original console. Uh, it comes with an HDMI cable, so you can hook it up to modern TVs, AC adapter, and it comes with one NES Classic controller. The system cannot be updated. There's not going to be a way for you to like put it online, download any additional games. It's really just to give you, for $60, these 30 hit classic titles as a nostalgia shot, like an espresso shot. So, Tony, what do you think of the NES Mini? Oh, I think you missed the most important of the 30 games, Bubble Bobble. Yes, yeah, right. I did Bubble miss it because I never... Pl- I never- remember playing uh, bubble i played bobble. so much bubble bobble back in the day i beat that game i can't even have a guess of how many times i beat that game well I while so i respect much. your critical opinion of what i left out a true <laughs> game a true gamer would have said dennis you left out contra why didn't you say contra so i thought, afraid... I thought it was super c they have which is super contra they have both. Oh, is both on it? Okay. That's right. It's Contra and Super the Contra. The article I, I read didn't didn't list Contra. So. I, I did find one that actually went through all 30 of the games. There's also the original Mario Brothers before they were Super. Yeah. Uh, is Kid is one of the games. Yeah, lot, lots. We could go through all 30, but I think now that we've gotten to like 16, <laughs> we've said it. People can look online if they really, if they really care. Um uh, my overall thoughts is just from an access standpoint, as in access to these classic games, this isn't really offering anything new. Uh, there are a lot of homebrew Raspberry Pi projects that you can undertake that would give you access to 8-bit NES games uh, because 8-bit runs really well on Raspberry Pi. So emulation-wise, there's a lot of options that are already out there. Granted, you, a lot of times you can't just buy them because the, people don't have the rights to sell that sort of software. So it's sort of home-built for home-use-only sort of stuff. But... Uh, but this is a low price point. We're talking about this entire thing for the price of one modern game. Yeah, and the the second controller, if you want to buy a second controller, is going to be ten bucks, from what I've read. Which you know, and the way prices are on current controllers, ten bucks is cheap. So that's that's not going to be a big obstacle for folks. Um, and this looks cool because it looks like a little. It's a little nest. You just want to hug it and you know feed it. Um, and put it in your Pokeball. I'm sorry, we went back. I went back to the wrong wrong game. <laughs> um, so I th- I would say overall, I think this is a good choice for anyone that's looking at a simple plug plug and play solution. You know, because you got to go through steps. If you still have your old NES console, I probably have mine somewhere. I know I have the Atari 2600 in the garage, but you know, then it's not HDMI or anything. So you got to use adapters and do all these hookups to get it working on a modern TV, or you're using you have to use an old CRT. So I think this is a, you know, this solves that because it's just plug and play for modern equipment. Uh, The game selection they went with is stellar. I can understand that there are going to be people that are missing games that they really wish uh, had been included and that there should be a way to update it. 
you know, if it does gangbusters, I imagine I could see Nintendo doing like a second iteration where they have another 30 games. Yeah, on, and just like know, have it, a different color one. And I can see them also, if this takes off big, I can see the Super NES getting a project like this. Yeah, and I think I would say they would lean more towards doing something like that than just uh, rehashing more games on the original. I yeah. think this is just they thought, hey, let's see, you know, this is sort of a cool idea. Let's do this. I added it to my wish list. Uh, it's not something I'm going to rush out and buy, but I got a TV I could hook yeah, this I'm, to. Yeah, I'm think putting it, would... it on my list. I, as soon as I told my wife about it, she just looked at me and she was like, we need it. I mean, yeah. it's kind of... No, it's awesome. It looks awesome. It fits in your hand. It fits in your hand. No, the only now, thing I saw that it doesn't do and the fact that it doesn't have any expandability but i thought would have been cool was if the little lid flipped up and there was an sd card slot there so you could slide in sd cards for expandability but <laughs> that would be <laughs> that awesome would be cool. it doesn't have that but that would be awesome or even if oh, and up flipped up so you i could you know blow in it yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I thought I saw something say it's not uh, one of the sites I, I saw covering this was like and it doesn't have that annoying thing where you had to blow the cartridge. I was like, look, blowing the cartridge wasn't annoying. It was just a rite of passage. The annoying thing was if you had to blow it more than once. <laughs> but if you only had to blow it once. That was not a problem. That was just part. That was like pushing the power button. You just that's how you dealt with it, folks. That's, yeah. These youngins, they don't know. Uh, I think the only issue, the only real negative I have with this, uh, which is kind of mean, I suppose, but uh, is it just shows that the Nintendo of the bygone era is more popular than today's Nintendo. Seeing the excitement generated from all these games. And it's so sad because look at all this IP that they control and, you know, they just it's not. Yeah, there's nothing out there. Exactly. They're not they're not delivering, you know, the disappointment that was the Star Fox release that we mentioned on one of the previous podcasts. I mean, they've had good releases for the Wii U. I'd say Mario Maker, you know, was and most of their Mario products are really good uses of the franchise. I think they respect their Mario franchise the most, but everything else, it's like waiting almost Final Fantasy durations. Not quite that bad. Let me not be too cruel, but, you know, really long waits between Zelda games. You know, it's just all sorts of stuff where you just look and you're like, you've got all this great IP that could really be explored. It's not like people feel like you're being overly saturated, like an Assassin's Creed every year was doing to folks. But eh, anyway, uh, but hey, if it makes them money, yay for them. And uh, it scratches an itch that a lot of people really feel. Uh, when I think of video game, the NES console is always what pops into my mind first. It wasn't my first console, but it's always what I think of because it was so defining. I'm the same way. It wasn't my first console, but when I think of the console I had when I was a kid, the NES is the first one that I think of. And then I follow it up with the uh, uh, Super NES. And, and then I think, oh yeah, I had an Intellivision back before all of that and played a lot of Burger Time and, and, and Tanks. Ah, uh, yes, Tanks. I like tanks. I had it for the 2600. I think it was called combat. Yeah, it was combat. I think that's what it was called. Yeah, I play. I mainly played burger time. Like 90% of what I played was burger time. Burger time. We did not have burger time. Well, we had a handheld version of burger time. My sister did. I had a uh, Qbert and Donkey Kong and Pac-Man. Uh, those are like the little mini arcades. Oh, I remember I those. Yeah. The little yeah, I got them in my ones. garage. It's your arcade collection. Yay! Yeah, yes. yes. It's, almost, it's almost as large as my pinball collection. <laughs> the, uh, also, uh, one other thing is the way the connectors are set up, the NES controllers look like they'll plug into your Wii U. So if you want to have NES controls, because I know they've got the... Uh, uh, you can get a lot of virtual or emulated NES games and stuff on the Wii U's and stuff too. Oh yeah, they have like a virtual console. Yeah, they've got a virtual console, so you could actually plug in and use the actual correct controllers with your virtual console from the sounds of it. Sweet. All right, well, with our NES nostalgia out of the way, let's go ahead and go to the third and final topical category for our podcast, the tabletop section. We had an email from Jake Danzig. He wrote into the podcast and he wanted to ask us about a tabletop game called Mars Attacks, the miniatures game. He noted that he isn't a big board gamer, but he is a huge fan of Mars Attacks. And so he decided to get this when he saw it show up on Kickstarter and he wanted to know what our thoughts were. Uh, So I guess... You, of course, are our resident tabletop expert. I did do some research on this because I've never played it. 
the box obviously to me evokes the comedy 1996 Mars Attacks movie, which is what I always think of when I hear Mars That's Attacks. I In fact, well. I didn't know I didn't know there was a historic thing. I just thought there was. I probably didn't do that right, but I used to be able to do it a lot better. And sometimes I will still kind of quack at people like that when they're just blathering. But I think they kind of think that I'm crazy when I do it. So I try not to do it, say, in a professional setting. But, you know, sometimes it happens. This is that's how life is. Uh, but the artistic direction, from what I could tell, uh, seems to have come from a 1962 Topps trading card game called Mars Attacks. Uh, so I'm not sure if the game is basing itself off the movie, which in a way would be kind of odd because the movie was a bomb at the box office. I, th- I, I saw enjoyed it. it. I thought it was yeah. a good movie. I liked it. I did too. I did too. I feel guilty, but I did. It's like Pierce Bronson. You know, I was like, James Bond is in it. And he's a scientist. And why is his head? Off? Oh, spoilers. It's his head comes off at oh, one point. No. Uh, and then, or, or this miniatures is based off the card game itself. But I guess in a way it doesn't really matter because the movie was based off of the cards game. So it owes its existence to the original from the 60s one way or another. Uh, basics that I can understand are it's a 3D board game uh, that mechanically relies on having real or true line of sight. So you position your pieces. You look to see if they can actually target the opponent, could actually visually see the opponent. And depending on how good the view is, that impacts the dice rolls and the ability to attack. Uh, it seems to me that the game isn't uh, the term uh, you often have used, Tony, is crunchy. It doesn't seem overly crunchy. It seems like it has pretty simple dice mechanics, but it is highly tactical given the nature of the line of sight. Uh, you know, you've got like little fences and stuff that you put up so things can obstruct view and all of that. I haven't played it. So this is just what I could gather uh, trying to research it search the game on my end yeah uh it's not a i haven't played it either and i sent some feelers out and i don't actually know anybody who has it so i didn't get a chance to play it but i i watched a couple let's play uh and uh some other stuff on it and took a good look at everything i could find online and uh, the models are really nice the uh wreckage and the walls and stuff and just the models and i've seen a lot of them where people have done an amazing job painting them up yeah, no, they did look really good. I, I saw two review videos, actually, of it with people positioning the pieces and stuff. And they were far more like I thought the soldiers would be more generic looking, almost like the little bags of army men or something. Um, and, and no, it was uh, I was impressed with with how it looked. Yeah, no, it is. It it, it looks really nice. It's um one of those games. It's got kind of there's kind of a sweet spot between being a pure board game and being a pure miniatures game. And uh, this game sets in that spot. And it's got a it's got a lot of potential there, and the scenario play looks really cool, and the the manual looks amazing, uh, and all the art is amazing. I mean, this is a game that I wouldn't mind having just for the art, and right, and, yeah. and, and the pieces and stuff. But um, I wasn't able to find anybody who could, who had it, so I couldn't actually give it a try. But it seems to be really well regarded all in all. Um, I say to Jake, definitely find somebody and give it give it a good play. She's a look looks to be a nice game that's really simple. With you don't get into the too heavy, crazy stuff that the full up miniatures get, but you've got more options than your normal board games. It seems to be a a good game. I've played several other games that kind of straddle that line that are a lot of fun. Um, most of them are older or homebrew type stuffs, but um, I, I always have a pretty high recommendation for them. Now, the Mars Attacks thing, I, like I said earlier, I love the movie. And uh, Jake also mentioned a couple other Mars Attacks things that have come out lately. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't I was familiar with them myself. Yeah, well, there are, uh, there's a couple of dice games and stuff that have come out from Steve Jackson games. And uh, I know you might not be familiar with Steve Jackson games, but you've played some of their dice games in the past. Uh because uh, Steve Jackson Games is the ones who put out Zombie Dice. Okay. And yep. they also put out uh, Munchkin and GURPS. And uh, they, they've got a huge product line. And I've not played a Steve Jackson game that wasn't fun. They've all been enjoyable. They might, even ones that aren't really my cup of tea, they're still, they were fun to play. They might not be something I would own, but they always do a very good job about making a game fun. They make a lot of games, a lot of their games are very. Um, like Munchkin is very a sit around with your friends and drink beer and play type game. Uh, uh-huh. 
I, there needs to be a better name for that type of game. Maybe there is, but uh, it's a beer and pretzels game. It's a beer and pretzels game. <laughs> Bretzels. It's a Bretzels game. And I, I'd recommend them. I mean, like I said, I, I haven't played their uh, Mars Attacks games either, but I've played a lot of other Steve Jackson games, and I, I would trust them for anything they get license-wise to work with. And some of the things that they don't have the licenses on to work with. I mean, Steve Jackson Games is the uh, is who's put out the classic uh, Ogre game, which is a uh, full-on miniatures game uh, that is basically uh, the old Bolo sci-fi series with the serial numbers filed off. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, GURPS is one of the classic uh, RPGs of the old-school... You can literally do anything RPGs where there are dice rolls for everything and there are splat books. If you want a splat book for something, there is a splat book for it. You can run GURPS Medieval. You can run GURPS as Time Travelers. You can run GURPS Steampunk. You can run GURPS Sci-Fi. You can run GURPS Modern Day. There are splat books for everything. GURPS is a do-anything system. Um, Yeah, I've heard of GURPS uh, because it's so flexible. Yeah, it, it, and that's what a lot of people they use GURPS when they're tr- when they're doing homebrew and one-off games that are something weird. They use GURPS because it's just how flexible it is. Uh, back to the original, the Mars Attacks the Miniatures game. Um, it does, from what I've seen, uh, it came out in 2014, and there doesn't seem to have been a whole lot of support for it by the company that put it out, which was Mantis games or hasn't it's still on their website and you can still buy it but there hasn't been doesn't seem like there's been a whole lot of support for it but it is definitely a game that especially for people who are not big board gamers and are not have no miniature experience it seems like a good game to shift you into it because of how easy the rules are while still having the kind of tactical playability that a full-on miniatures game does. It kind of scratches that itch, and then eventually you get to the point where you're addicted, and then suddenly you've got, you know, you're doing your own homebrew system based on, you know, making the rules deeper, or you end up finding yourself setting rocking behind a game shop somewhere with stacks of boxes for a miniatures game around you going, well, I forgot the paint, I forgot the paint, I forgot the paint. <laughs> well, yes, he says, so awesome times can be had is, is the moral, is the moral of the story. Yes, so, it's, that is. Yes. So Jake, thank you very much for the question. Um, let's go ahead and move into our, our last part on tabletop, which is CantCom is coming up. And Tony and I have uh, discussed this briefly before, uh, but the signups are in, the registrations are set, and we are ready to go. I am signed up to only attend during Saturday, and I'm going to be playing two games uh, along with Tony. We're going to do the League of Extraordinary Heroes and Dark Tide on that day. And that's going to take up most of the day unless we want to go way in it late in the evening and take a third game. Yeah, so, they're both uh, four-hour games, and we're we've got a one-hour break between them, so we can get some lunch. Uh, yeah, we might uh, get hungry. League of Extraordinary Heroes is a is a 1939 setting. If I it kind of remind right. me of the hopefully better than the movie of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but it seemed like you were playing along with like historic characters of the era, yeah. sort of thing. And, and and Dark Tide is kind of a superhero game, and it's going to be a it uses the ultimate hero system. Yeah, and I guess this is bas- that's going to be like a play test. They're going to help play test that. Yeah, uh, I'm a- I'm attending on Friday as well. I would, and I'm taking I'm signed up for two games. Then I'm doing a D and D five E game uh, using a pre gen character. So we'll see how that turns out. I'm more mm-hmm. interested in just getting to play some D and D five E because I haven't seen touched five E at all. I mean, I haven't really done D and D since three. And I'm also signed up for a Planet Mercenary game because they're running a Planet Mercenary demo, which is, of course, the uh, Schlock Mercenary RPG that I kickstarted last year and is on its way towards completion. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing that on Friday uh, as well, and I might be adding some other stuff. We're just going to have to see how the day goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't remember, CantCon is a gaming convention in Kansas City. Uh, it's actually in Overland Park, and it's at the Sheridan. 
can there's a convention center there and it's just yeah, they're uh, attached to the Sheridan and the convention center are physically attached to each other. So, yeah. And they're, uh, it, it's a mix of board games and RPGs. Uh, there are a lot of board games and there is a lot of board gaming that takes place. We just not signed up for any of that because, uh, as I've said in past ones, this is where I get my RPG fix because I don't really play a lot during the year. Yeah, there are a lot of us who, when we get together, uh, we a uh, group of us have regular game nights, and on a number of those, we will break out a, a board game or like a dice game, like the Zombies Dice. That's where I played it. Was at one of those sort of things. But we don't get to do RPGs because most of the most of our friends don't do RPGs. So this, yeah, uh, and it's a little too much for. I've tried to organize RPG games in the past, and it, it's fallen flat. And I'm working on getting some more organized, but it's a uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on in life. It's hard to get everything pulled yeah. together. Yeah. Tony and I did discuss doing one of the, one of the slots on Saturday as a D and D five E. We decided that, or in my case, I was like, since I had some exposure to D and D as of at least version three, that I wanted to do just totally new stuff for, for exposure reasons. So that's kind of why I got carved up that way. Cause I think we've mentioned D and D a few times in the past. So if anyone was wondering, well, why isn't Dennis doing D and D so I can be exposed to new things. I'm trying to grow as a person. <laughs> well, and these games sound a lot of fun. I mean, the league of extraordinary heroes is, I mean, that's like 1939 version of the league of extraordinary gentlemen. I mean, and if you're throwing 39 in, you're talking, you know, like Indiana Jones and the diesel punky type stuff and all that kind of adventurer uh, yeah. type line. I think it's a great I think it's a great setting for an RPG. I do, too. And then a superhero RPGs are, I mean, who doesn't want to be a superhero? So, yeah. Which of you don't? Don't don't write us. We don't really want to know. That's re- <laughs> it's rhetorical. It's rhetorical. <laughs> well. That covers the show. So uh, if you guys want us to continue to be your superheroes uh, in podcasting, please go and give us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, We always appreciate that. Helps us with their search algorithms so other people can find the podcasts that are interested in these sort of topics. If you want to contact us like Jake did, you can always email the show at eclecticsgamerspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send us a message or leave a comment on our Facebook page, which would be facebook.com slash eclectic gamers podcast. We're also on uh, Twitter at eclectic underscore gamers. And we're on Instagram at eclectic underscore gamers. And I've actually been doing a pretty good job, especially with the Instagram of, of getting stuff posted up on the Instagram uh, Twitter, I'm still, I'm posting more, but not, not a whole lot, but I'm doing pretty good with the Instagram that I don't know why, but for some reason, the ability just to take a picture or a short video and throw it up is working better for me than the other, uh, stuff. Yeah. And, uh, we tend to have content coming out related to either pinball video games or tabletop on the Facebook page as well. So it's a good place to actually follow game news. Sometimes we'll even list things that we won't necessarily cover in a particular episode. Uh, most of the stuff does relate because we're so broad based in our, in our topics that usually we've at least mentioned something in passing, but we try and keep up with the news as best we can. Uh, we plan to be back in a couple of weeks. Obviously a uh, big part of that's going to be a debrief on CantCon. Uh, but I, my guess will be we'll probably have content in the other two topics as well. We'll just have to see what we, what we come out of the convention with. Yep. And until then, have fun. <laughs>